This is Africa Digest. Seventeen hundred hours Central African time on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, where we give you news from an African perspective. Hello, welcome to the program. My name is Spumela Lezondi, broadcasting to you on a frequency nine six two five kilohertz. That is on the thirty one meter band. If you are in Southern Africa. We are broadcasting to you live from Johannesburg. If you prefer streaming us, it is channelafrica.co.za. This hour, I'm with Amanda Machaka, Tracy Pumgod, and Neto Chemane. Your top stories. South Africa's governing party mired in yet another sexual misconduct scandal. Anxiety continues around Nigeria as citizens await the outcomes of the presidential election. In economic news, a Pan-African investment conglomerate on track to open its first fully-fledged smartphone factory in South Africa's Dube trade port. And in sports, technical team at Athletics Kenya headquarters to meet with the coaching staff and a 28-member team selected to represent Kenya at the World Cross-Country Championship. Amanda Machaga has your news. Good evening. Voters in Senegal are concerned about the ongoing exchange of words between political parties hours after polls closed in Sunday's elections. The Prime Minister Mohamed Dion said incumbent President Merki Sall had won a clear majority and had been re-elected based on the initial tallies from the polling stations. But opposition candidates Osman Sonko and Idrissa Sirk said they had no doubt the race would go to a second round and called on their supporters to mobilize. Official results are expected by Friday this week. Nigeria's election took place in a generally peaceful environment. That's according to the head of the African Union Observer Mission, Haile Mariam Desalin. Desalin, Ethiopia's former prime minister, was speaking in his first public comments about the delayed presidential poll on Saturday. Analysts say the presidential election pitting President Muhammadu Buhari against businessman and former vice president Atiku Abubakar will be Nigeria's tightest since the end of a military rule in 1999. Early results are expected to trickle in during the course of the day. Meanwhile, civil society groups say as many as 39 people have been killed in election violence. The Algerian leadership has for the first time acknowledged the protests against the ailing president, Abdelaziz Bouteflika, who is running for a fifth term in April's presidential elections. Thousands have taken to the streets of the capital and other cities, calling on authorities to abandon plans for 81-year-old Bouteflika to stand in the presidential election. Bouteflika, who has been in office since 1999, suffered a stroke in 2013. Aijora's prime minister says while the constitution guarantees the right to protest, the ballot box will decide who leads the country next. 
A new report by Doctors Without Borders, MSF, points out failure by the UN's peacekeeping mission to prevent attacks on civilians in the Central African Republic. The report probed the deadly violence in Patangafo during November 2018. During this period, MSF teams witnessed the horrific consequences of the ongoing violence exerted by different armed groups in CAR. MSF head of mission in the country, Omar Ahmed Abenza, explains. On the 31st of October of last year and the first week of November, there were a series of attacks from one of the armed groups present in Batangafo towards the civilian population who was located in a displaced camp. The attacks responded to an existing dynamics that it's still ongoing because of the conflict going on for years in Central African Republic. And the unfortunate results were that uh, more than 20,000 people were displaced and uh, there were 15 people who died because of the attacks and uh, 30 people were injured. And finally, South Africa is celebrating 25 years of democracy through arts and culture on the African continent. The country is hosting its fourth cultural season program in Kenya with the aim of signing bilateral agreements. These agreements will focus on how arts and culture can be used to develop citizens of these two countries and Africa as a whole. Arts and Culture Deputy DG Kilewukhele Sitibel. South Africa achieved its freedom from apartheid bondage because of the selfless support and sacrifices of the people and the government of Kenya. In our view, culture continues to play an important role in shaping and strengthening our society. It is in, with this in mind that South Africa is presenting a cultural season in Kenya from the 25th of Feb until the 2nd of March. And you know with seasons, it is a reciprocal program. We expect also the Kenyans to come to South Africa. For Channel Africa News, I'm Amanda Machak. This is Africa Digest. It is 17.06 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. Thank you very much, Amanda Machaka, for that update. Now, South Africa's ruling African National Congress is once again at the center of sexual abuse allegations. Last week's revelations by the party that a woman had come forward with rape allegations against a senior official within the party, acting po- spokesperson Zizi Godwa has pushed it into a corner. Godwa has claimed it's a political ploy against him, while the Women's League has called on his suspension. The party's response was uh, that the woman had not laid a criminal case against Godwa with the law enforcement agency, so at this point, it would not investigate. The debate had been raging on whether the party should investigate these allegations. More from political analyst Theo Fender. Which means a neck 
also suspended due to similar kind of accusations. Um, but then, um, Kortman was gained and eventually became the spokesperson for the presidency. Um, now, the argument of the ANC is that if in a case like Uri Mabe, um, it was a worker um, relationship with an overseer, then the party had a responsibility like any organization to investigate and to do something. In the case of Uri Mabe, was suspended until the um, investigation found that there was nothing on to it and then that was um, dropped. In the case of the Codron, the lady that made the claims are not working for the ANC. They're not in a situation where there's a, a, a overseer working relationship. Therefore, I think the ANC may be put in call by saying, I'll go to the police at the moment there's a case, then we can act, because it's a, it's a, it's a different kind of relationship. But it doesn't matter how and what the facts are, it doesn't look good for the ANC. Would you say the fact that it's election year will be seeing much more of the mudslinging play out in the public domain? Why the quick response? Is it because they got a backlash from, um, you know, the people of South Africa? Now, Thea, we've seen last week the ANC spokesperson, Bulemabe, being cleared of sexual harassment charges by the party's grievance panel. Um, do you think that the party will have to come up with a policy on such incidents? Should they not have a policy in place already? Thank you. 
do you think that the ANC is finding itself at war with itself? And, uh, you know, it, it's either damned if it acts on the issue or if it doesn't. Theo Fender is a political and policy analyst with the University of Northwest in conversation there with Lulu Gabu. The global tourism and meetings industry has converged in Johannesburg, South Africa for the annual Meetings Africa, which is a business and events trade show. The travel and tourism industry continues to recognize Africa as a sought-after destination, and Meetings Africa showcases the continent's diverse offering of services and products. This year marks the 14th installment of the show, which is underway at the Sentin Convention Center. South African Tourism Chief Executive Officer Sisan John. It's the sixth year of edition that we are really profiling uh, South Africa as a destination for global conferences, global meetings, uh, business events essentially. Uh, What's different this year is that we are actually amplifying the essence that this is an Africa trade show, not just South Africa, but the continent itself. And this is where the continent really showcases its ability in terms of competencies, in terms of delivering basically world-class um, conferencing facilities. Um, you'll see a lot more dynamism, I think, more. Um, we're always looking for more and different because we are competing with global destinations you know, for business events and we want to showcase to them as to why they should come to South Africa. It's got to be different, it's going to be relevant, it's got to be appropriate for the audience as well. What do we say are some of the benefits for SAT to continue hosting you know, events such as Meeting Africa? Well, the simple line is that when Africa wins, we win. Specifically around business events, the nature of the conferencing world is that it rotates. You know, so you hardly ever get the same conference or the same venue back to back. So therefore, the more conferencing capabilities there are on the continent, the better for us because we get to retain those conferences basically on the African continent as well. So it gives us more you know, places to explore. Also as well, the world is looking for unique and different. They're looking for beyond the ordinary. Look, you can host a conference anywhere in the world. They've got infrastructure, they've got all the the value chains. But what is it that we come that is different? And um, I'm always told that uh, South Africa's secret weapon is its people, right? Uh, Our food, our flavors, our art, and actually people. And we want to bring all of that to the fore to make sure that we can showcase our lovely country. And how do small and medium enterprises benefit from attending and participating at the meetings in Daba and what would you say are the benefits that come out for them? First of all is that we want them in to be in the room so that A, they can have access, they can understand what it is that the world is looking for B, that they can be innovative towards providing solutions to those challenges that the world has. SME is an integral part, but I'll always try to warn them, come prepared, come in the room, 
understand, listen, educate, inform yourself so that you can forge relationships, so that you can forge partnerships, collaboration that allows your product or your solution to actually be in the top shelf from that perspective. Because the more you can speak the language of the sector, the more acceptable you become in those spaces. You know? And also to understand that uh, with the development of technology, suddenly now everyone has got a voice. But what voice do you want to bring through, basically, um, on that side? That's South African Tourism Chief Executive Officer Sisa Njona speaking to Ntlantla Matlangu. Now, South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has established a special tribunal to assist the Special Investigating Unit, or SIU, in an effort to fast-track the recovery of funds lost to the state from corruption or irregular spending. The presidency says there's a need to fast-track the finalization of matters that had been referred for civil litigation after the conclusion of an investigation. The tribunal will tackle any civil proceedings brought before it by the ISIU, rather, which will investigate wrongdoing and malpractice in state institutions, state assets and public money. Ramaphosa appointed Judge Gitfonia Mlinde Luamakanya as the president of the tribunal for a period of three years. To discuss this further, we're now joined by Dr. Jerome Wells, who is a chief legal counsel at the ICU. Hello and thank you, SIU rather. Hello and thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me and uh, welcome to your listeners as well. Now, talk us uh, through the work of the tribunal and how it will enable the SIU. Um, can I just first uh, commend the president for the establishment of the special tribunal and also congratulate the judges and tribunal president on their appointment. Um, uh, Your question, uh, how the special tribunal will operate, is basically confined and limited to the provisions of the Act where it states that it will adjudicate all matters that the SIU refers to it, specifically civil matters, and only matters that emanates from investigations that has been uh, authorized by proclamation of the President. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, uh, tell us about how it will then now uh, assist your work. Okay. Um, what has been happening is, uh, you, you will note that the president mentioned that it, uh, the civil proceedings and outcome therefore be fast-tracked. What has happened is that the, uh, in the absence of the special tribunal, the uh, SIU had to institute civil litigation in the normal courts. Uh, these courts have to a certain extent uh, are congested with other matters. So the SIU had to queue for the resolution and finalization of its matters to the extent that matters that we that was initiated in and during like, 2014 are still pending on the court rolls. Now with a dedicated court like the Special Tribunal, uh, we can now uh, have a dedicated judge attending to our matters and we don't have to compete for space with the general public. So, uh, and these uh, orders that we will get will be equivalent to that of a high court judge or high court. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, there are some issues, like the Sunday Times, for example, uh, their report on the 139 billion rand that's allegedly um, uh, taken by 11 contractors, or you probing that. Um, the Democratic Alliance has said um, on that that you need to take that to the Zondo Commission. Is that something you can do? Is that something you will do? 
I didn't get the first part of your question, the, 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 what allegation. A Sunday Times reported yesterday that the SIU is probing 11 contractors for allegedly stealing 139 billion rand during the building of ESCOM's Midupi, Kusile and Ingula power plants. There's the DA, which has um, since called on you guys to then now take this to the Zonda Commission. Is that something you can do? Uh, what what we'll do is we will, if the allegations are substantiated, we will refer this uh, in the form of a motivation to the president to have the matter comp- uh, proclaimed, uh, and we will then investigate those allegations. And depending on the evidence, we will necessarily take that to the special tribunal. Um, uh, we will not necessarily take it to the Zonda Commission. Um, why not? Um, I, I think what is justified here is if we have the necessary evidence, we can proceed with the investigation and have an outcome. I think that is uh, uh, what would be the speediest remedy to 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 uh, to investigation and seeking resolution of the of the of the dispute. Uh-huh. Um, now, tell us about where um, your work begins and whether uh, and where it differs with the National Prosecuting Authority, and whether you feel let down by the um, by the Prosecuting Authority for not taking action on on some of the recommendations in the 2009 report. Yeah, um, uh, you, you will note that the SIU's work effectively begins after the proclamation. Uh, by the president, uh, wherein specifically it states what the SIU can investigate and not investigate. Now, during its investigation, if the SIU comes across evidence that points to a, a, a the commission of a crime, it will refer that evidence in terms of its uh, of its legislation to the NPA to take further action. What usually happens is that these allegations are investigated by the police. In, in, in cooperation with the NPA, and they will take further action if the if the evidence justifies the institution of criminal uh, criminal proceedings. Um, and Times Live today reported that uh, Correctional Services Minister Michael Masuta has blamed you um, for his department's failure to recover money from Busasa. Any response to that? Um, I haven't been privy to the detail. Uh, safe to mention that the report was finalized in 2009, recommending civil action and criminal proceedings. Um, all right. So um, when can you then perhaps come back here and give us some of those answers? Uh, but specifically with, with, with reference to the comment of the minister? Yes, sir. Um, uh, I will obviously have to... Uh, to ascertain the extent and nature and extent of the comment, and I will certainly be able to do that within a day. All right, sure. Thank you very much. Thank you. That is Jerome Wells. He's the Chief Legal Counsel at South Africa's Special Investigating Unit. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultonjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka.
in Yaoundé. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. This is Africa Digest. Seventeen twenty-four Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, where we give you news from an African perspective. Now, more than one thousand six hundred delegates from fourteen African countries are gathered in Livingston, in Zambia, for the twenty-sixth East and Southern African Association of Accountants General Conference. The conference is being held under the theme "Enhancing the Effectiveness of Public Financial Management Systems in Developing Countries and Emerging Economies." The week-long conference opened in the Zambian tourist capital today and Hilda Kekelwa was there. President Edgar Longo has implored African countries to put in place financial management systems that will improve the quality of life for the people on the continent. Opening the 26th ESAG conference, he wondered why, despite being endowed with so much resource, the continent of Africa remains the poorest. He commended the conference organizers for choosing enhancing the effectiveness of public financial management systems in developing countries and emerging economies as a theme and called on accountants to be prudent in the management of resources. The theme of the conference is not only appropriate but also consistent with public financial management reforms being undertaken in the region. The African continent in general, and the East and Southern Africa in particular, is well endowed with natural resources such as vast arable land, forests, minerals, rivers and lakes, animals, good climate, a rich cultural heritage, and a vibrant and hard-working population. Despite all these endowments, Africa's resources remain unexploited, disadvantaging her people. Ladies and gentlemen, the role of accountants is cardinal in transforming Africa into a prosperous and peaceful continent, the Africa we want. For us to achieve this vision, we need to build and put in place the right systems, develop the right mindset, and perform our function with integrity, visualism and hard work. For her part, Zambia's finance minister Margaret Mwanakatwe said the conference has come at the time when numerous countries are faced with challenges of wide fiscal deficits and debt. She said under this environment, Zambia is implementing the Public Finance Management Act of 2018, the result of which has been noted in the steady improvement in the quality of revenue collection and expenditure across the government system. Excellency the President, let me now take this opportunity to thank you for your support in developing, enacting and implementing the Public Financial Management Act 2018. The results are being seen in the steady improvement 
in the quality of revenue collection and expenditure across the country. Sir, I thank you for elevating the position of Zambia's Accountant General, for elevating the position of Zambia's Controller of Internal Audit, and for elevating the financial management directorates in ministries, provinces, and other controlling bodies. Sir, I thank you for initiating the first ever joint financial governance improvement program for ministers and controlling officers in February 2018, which means to induce audit incidences in the Auditor General's report. Established in 1995, ISAG is an association comprising accountants general from 14 member countries from East and Southern African region. This is the second time Zambia is hosting the conference, the first being in 2010. In his remarks, Zambia's Accountant General and outgoing ISAG chairperson Dick Sichembe said ISAG is engaged in various activities to enable success in the reforms being undertaken by member states in the area of finance and management. The second objective, Your Excellence of ISAG, is to facilitate focused capacity building in public financial management of member countries. Under this objective, we were able to undertake capacity needs assessment of, my, of five member countries, namely Botswana, Lesotho, Malawi, Mozambique, Namibia, and South Africa. This assessment will result in designing tailor-made training for these member countries. The conference that has drawn participation from all the 14 member countries has been described as a huge success in terms of attendance. Earlier in his welcoming remarks, Southern Province Minister Edify Hamukale informed and invited delegates to the Southern Province Business and Investment Expo to be held later this year. Your participation in this conference affirms your confidence in Zambia's governance and stable economic environment. May I take this opportunity to inform you about the forthcoming Southern Province Trade and Investment Expo that is scheduled to take place in September this year from 9th to 15th September and we will be more than glad to receive you back and indeed to work closely with the Republic of Zambia in fostering economic uh, cooperation. This expo will showcase southern province rich investment potential in tourism, agriculture, energy and cultural areas as well as mining. The 27th Eastside Conference will be held in Namibia. From Livingstone, I am Hilda Kekelwa reporting for Channel Africa. Amanda Machaga is in studio with the news headlines. Thank you, Spomalele. Good evening. Senegal are concerned about uh, the ongoing exchange of words between political parties hours after polls closed in Sunday's election. 
The Algerian leadership has for the first time acknowledged the protests against the ailing president, Abdelaziz Bouteflika, who is running for a fifth term in April's presidential elections. And a new report by Doctors Without Borders, MSF, points out failure by the UN's peacekeeping mission to prevent attacks on civilians in the Central African Republic. Those are news headlines. This is Africa Digest. It is 17.32 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. Now, breakthroughs in immuno-oncology are providing healthcare practitioners and patients with new options to treat cancer that did not exist before. Immunotherapy drugs are now used to treat many different types of cancer. However, immunotherapy is not for everyone. Immunotherapy, also called called biological therapy, is a type of cancer treatment that boosts the body's natural defenses to fight cancer. The goal is to address the unmet need for long-term survival in patients with advanced cancers. To speak to us more about this, we're now joined on the line by Dr. Omondi Okude, who is a medical oncologist in South Africa. Hello, and thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Ogude. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. All right. Um, let's start by uh, first simplifying what immunotherapy is. So immunotherapy essentially is a modality of treatment uh, that is used for cancer. Um, and what we do here is, is capitalize on the own body's immune system to be able to, to treat for cancer. Uh, so essentially one of the issues that we encounter with cancer or the way cancer develops is that the body fails to recognize the cancer and essentially what immunotherapy does um, in, a, in a very sort of uh, simple explanation is that it stimulates the immune system to recognize um, the cancer for what it is and then attack it. Yeah. Uh huh. And how long does it start to take uh, uh, time to take to start working? Sorry. Sure. So it, you know, it it does take a little bit of time. Um, on 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 average, you're looking at about nine weeks before you can get a, what we call an objective response. Um, so essentially, you start the immunotherapy uh, usually, and depending on the regimen, it's given either two weeks or three weeks, um, and this is roughly the period that it takes for the immune system to be stimulated or primed to recognize these foreign agents and then begin to attack them. Um, so it does take a little bit of time before um, you do see it, but uh, they, they, when it does work, it is often quite uh, a durable response and they're often uh, more long-lasting than conventional therapies that we often use. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in uh, terms of um, the pain that one can experience, because we often hear that a lot of cancer treatments are quite painful for the patient, um, can you tell us about this one? Sure. So, uh, look, I, I, I think chemotherapy does have its side effects. Uh, I don't know that they're, they're necessarily all painful. They do have some undesirable side effects sometimes, and some some immunotherapy, uh, some chemotherapies are actually well tolerated. I think the advantage of uh, immunotherapy itself um, is that the side effects tend to be a whole lot less than chemotherapy. 
they do have their own side effects, uh, but they tend to be more manageable. Um, and essentially, the side effects can be thought of uh, as those basically um, akin to its mechanism of action. So because it's, the immune system is now stimulated, it becomes, in a sense, sometimes overstimulated and starts to um, uh, damage a little bit of uh, the, the, the body's own cells. So, and by that I mean, um, you know, things like a skin rash and things like that. But these are often manageable uh, with either creams or medications. Dr. Ogude, how are you there? The effect that you get with uh, things like chemotherapy, like nausea, vomiting, uh, and hair loss, which you often don't get with immunotherapy. Uh-huh. Um, and how long does it take for it to start working, if it, um, um, if it eventually starts working properly? So, um, like I said, it's on average of about uh, nine weeks or so, but it can be, uh, it can take a lot longer sometimes. But what's good about immunotherapy is that once it starts working, it often continues to work, sometimes even in the absence of um, you giving the immunotherapy itself. Sometimes patients get one or two uh, shots of immunotherapy, but months and sometimes years down the line, we're often seeing some of the effects in the cancer still continues to reduce in size on the scans and stuff that we do on patients to assess uh, the extent of their cancer. Mm. Um, is this something that can be afforded by the public health care system in South Africa? <laughs> That's a very controversial uh, <laughs> yeah, thing. Look, uh, it, it's, it, they are very expensive drugs. They're very specialized drugs. Uh, they're very novel drugs. And of course, the production of these drugs is uh, uh, you know, they're, they're made in very specific ways. They're made from antibodies, and uh, these require very elaborate processes in the labs. So it's not just a question of mixing chemicals uh, inside uh, um, a Petri dish or whatever and, 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 and giving them to somebody. So for this reason, they're, they're, they're often quite expensive. Uh, for some, maybe we could argue that they are almost too expensive. Um, you know, there's some immunotherapy drugs here which would cost up to 1.5 million rand, which is quite exorbitant. Um, so for the most part, even in the private healthcare, they are actually quite unaffordable um, at, at present. But one needs to be able to identify the right patient um, because not all patients are suitable candidates for immunotherapy. And uh, once you've identified the suitable uh, candidates, I think you can narrow down the cost then uh, because you'd only have a limited number of patients that uh, you, you treat with the uh, immunotherapy drugs to get that desirable uh, effect. All right, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. That is Dr. Omondi Okude, who is a medical oncologist in South Africa. Abari, etise, mache, mingabu, baoni, kedu, mbote, ndemne, bonsoir. Join me, Richard Mwamba, for a music show on Channel Africa called Africa in Song every Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Africa in Song, Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. This is Africa Digest.
It is 17.39 Central African time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. Now, South Africa's opposition party, the Economic Freedom Fighters, has called on new ESCOM board chairperson Jabu Mabuza to step down following disclosures he made at the Judicial Commission of Inquiry into state capture on Friday. The EFF on Saturday said Mabuza disclosed a serious conflict of interest during his testimony. He owns companies which provide boiler services and and repairs to the utility giant. Mabuza is continuing with his testimony at the commission into allegations of state capture. Mabuza said the power utility was the main theater for also for corruption and state capture when he arrived at the utility last year. Questions have also been raised on the energy minister Jeff Khadebe's conflict of interest in relations to his family playing a role in the renewable energy space. Khadebe has denied this. The minister is a brother-in-laws with businessman Patrice Motipe and President Cyril Ramaphosa. More from energy expert Ted Bloom. Um, do you believe that a breaking up with ESCOM would lead to a, a, a more efficient ent- entity? Now, uh, Minister of Energy Jeff Khadebe also came up and, of course, his close ties with uh, Patrice Motepe and, and the president. Do you believe that this also poses, you know, an, an added uh, challenge for the minister himself? Well, the fact of the matter is, uh, whether Mr. Patrice Motepe and the other brothers-in-law, I mean, it's a bit of a benefit to 
That is Ted Blom. He's a South African energy expert in conversation there with my colleague, Zikona Miso. It is 1744 Central African time. Now, we've been hearing a lot of news in the media about uh, prophets, pastors, um, and others with uh, Christian titles who can perform all kinds of um, new, uh, numerous, uh, whether well, you may call it blessings and other things. Um, the latest is Alf Lokau, who has managed to raise a man from the dead according to him. Um, many are casting doubt to this and as I've said we have also heard of others. Now I'm joined in studio by a Christian activist Solomon Izang Ashoms um, who is saying that actually this can't be true. Uh, hello and thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. Uh, good to be here. Yeah. Now a, a lot of these pastors have a huge following who believe in their miracles. Mm. What do you say to that? Yeah it's uh, obvious you know a lot of Pastors who do fake miracles, manufacture miracles, stage miracles, uh, from healing the blind to uh, financial miracles, they have got a lot of following because people are looking for hope. People are hopeless because of the economy, because of what people are going through, either with their health, their families, uh, or financially, their jobs. People are looking for hope. So what they do is they take, uh, they present to you a false hope that you think is easy for your hope to be achieved. And then you go in there, you know. Uh, and the incidents of Alf Lukau, I've had a, a, a long relationship with him. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I he had taken me to court, high court twice. Uh, there was an incident, I used a Bible scripture because he got a Royce Royce and a penthouse suit worth about 24 million rand, which I felt was not right because for a pastor in South Africa and also most of your congregation, is in the lower class how can you even do that so i i they, they found me guilty in for indirect defamation they called it and i was sentenced to prison for 20 days suspended for two years so i'm currently under suspension uh, as long as i don't defame him an, anymore uh, so i've had that relationship with him hit men have come to my house his, his church members one of the guys in the video uh harassed and intimidated my wife you know took her to the police station she was seven months pregnant then so you be, you are left with a lot of questions you know just because i spoke against some of the allegations that people brought to me uh you know against him but for him for us to see what he did you know uh is is shocking uh, what about someone who may say that uh, you are saying all these things in the media now because you um you've lost a court case against him in the past and maybe <laughs> you have a bone to pick with him and a gripe against him no no i don't have a bone to pick with him i even sent him an sms one time I got his number i told him look i don't have a problem with you i have a problem with what you do so let's separate the two i love him i, I pray for him in my house just to say that you know, I pray for people that are false prophets because you have to love the person in as much as you don't agree with what they do, you know. Uh, and and it's, it's sad that we have to get to this place. Do I believe in miracles? I believe in miracles 100%. Do I believe the dead can be resurrected? I believe in it 100%. Jesus resurrected three people in his in scriptures. In the book of John, he resurrected Lazarus, his, his uh his friend he resurrected uh, the widow's son and he resurrected Jairus daughter in the book of Mark was it done in the church it wasn't done in the church that's just the thing I want people to understand it wasn't done in the church you the church is the last place to expect a miracle 
a lot of Christians will not understand this, but the church is the last place because Jesus himself was trying to protect us just so we don't take the glory, just so we don't think there is a certain place where you can receive all this. But you see, a lot of some of these false prophets and, and miracles that we see, a lot of this is around marketing. How do I market my ministry? Yeah. How do I get more people in? More people means more money. More people means my oil is going to sell more. My, my, my water is going to sell more. My handkerchief, my miraculous handkerchief is going to sell more. What if, what if someone does really have a direct line to God? Because when you think about many of their miracles, they happen in front of thousands of people who then say, well, but we saw it. So it must be true. Yeah, but you saw it. How close did you see it? Have you interrogated the incident? You have to interrogate the resurrection, you know, with Elliot in, in Alf's church. Was this guy really dead? Do we have a death certificate? Where was he at? Where did do, Can we speak to his family? Can we speak to his neighbors? You know, where was a coffin board? And I think a lot of information is coming out now because people need to ask questions. People don't ask questions. And also the pastor who prayed for somebody to resurrect from the dead. Do you know that pastor? Do you know his character? Is he really who he portrays he you know he projects who he is in the in the in the in the in the in, in, in on TV? You yeah. have to ask all these questions. And a lot of people are now casting doubts on Christianity. Well, I mean, people are always going to cast doubt on Christianity, but Christianity is a personal thing. It's a personal relationship. You cannot convince people uh, to believe in Christianity. Uh, God needs to conv- convince them through the Holy Spirit. You well, know, he's going to give Christianity a bad name, obviously. Yeah. Pastors a bad name, the yeah. church a bad name. Uh, but but it's all good because at the end of the day, that's not what Christianity is. You have to separate what Christianity is and what Christianity is not. You have to separate from what the pastor did on what God would do or what God did. Once you do that, then you're going to make sure that you examine and analyze it and you would see all the flaws and all the, the fakeness that uh, some of these guys create. And you're not a pastor. I'm an ordained pastor, but uh, I, don't, I'm not, I don't run a church. Uh, my platform is not the church. I'm a pastor who is in, in media and communications, you know, uh, and, and that's why I love, I love that. I love, I love more like one-on-ones. I, I have a lot of pastor's friends who agree with me and disagree with me and criticize me uh, and a whole lot of stuff. But for me, it's always important. Go to scriptures. Yeah. And one thing I want to live with people is that believe in all this, read your Bible. All right. If you read your Bible, then you're going to, we don't have to argue and debate all this. All right. Thank you very much for joining us pleasure thanks all right so that's christian activist he says he's an ordained pastor as well even though he die, he doesn't have a church this is solomon izang ashrams it's time for your economic news here's tracy Pumgod. Good evening. For Channel African News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. More than 1,600 delegates from 14 African countries are gathering in Livingston, Zambia for the 26th East and Southern African Association of Accountants General Conference. The week-long conference opened in the Zambian tourist capital under the theme enhancing the effectiveness of public financial management systems in developing countries and emerging economies. Hinda... Hilda Akakilwa is there. 
President Edgar Longo has implored African countries to put in place financial management systems that will improve the quality of life for the people on the continent. Opening the 26th ESAG conference, he wondered why, despite being endowed with so much resource, the continent of Africa remains the poorest. He commended the conference organizers for choosing enhancing the effectiveness of public financial management systems in developing countries and emerging economies as a theme and called on accountants to be prudent in the management of resources. Kenya's ride-hailing company Little is expanding to Tanzania and Ghana by May and it also plans to raise more than $50 million in capital from investors. That's according to its chief executive officer, Kamal Badabati. Little competes with global players Uber and Taxify in Kenya. It will, Little will start offering rides in Tanzania's cap, commercial capital, Dar es Salaam, next week and plans to launch in Accra by May. It already has successful operations in Kenya, Uganda and Zambia. Commercial banks in Zimbabwe have begun to trade in a new transitional currency that was introduced last week. The RTGS dollars designed to overcome years of monetary crisis that has seen bouts of high inflation, cash shortages and black market currency trading. It's unclear how the government will control the new currency given its low foreign exchange reserves. The U.S. dollar is trading at 361.17 Nigerian Naira, 10.35 Botswana Pula, at 99.42 Kenyan Shilling and at 11.90 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 3.74 Brazilian Hale, 65.36 Russian Ruble, 70.80 Indian Rupee, 6.70 Chinese Yuan and a 13.96 South African Rand. It's also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and at 88 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,331 and platinum at $845 an ounce. And the price of Brent crude oil is at $66.88 a barrel. For Channel African News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. Thanks, Tracy. Nato Chairman has your sports news. Thank you, Spumalele, from the sports desk. A very good evening. Starting with athletics news. A technical team at Athletics Kenya headquarters in Nairobi will this week meet with the coaching staff and a 28-member team selected to represent Kenya at the World Cross-Country Championship scheduled for next month in Denmark. The meeting is expected to emerge with a strategic plan of how best to prepare the team to defend the world title next month. The athletes are expected to gather for a residential camp this coming Friday at Kigari College in Embu Central Kenya. Channel Africa's France The athletes are expected to gather for a residential camp this coming Friday at Kigari College in Embu, Central Kenya. The camp will last until March 25th before departing for Denmark two days later. 
The athletes selected to make the team were picked after the Kenya National Trials Camp Championships held at the Eldred Sports Club last Saturday where the South Rift's Amos Kirui shocked the Athletics World with a win in the senior men's 10 kilometers race while the World 5000 meters champion Helen Obiri was in a class of her own as she secured the women's 10 kilometers title. In soccer news, the South African Premiership side, Mamelodi Sundowns head coach Pizzo Musimani, says the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations, AFCON 2019, should be lost off his number one goalkeeper, Dennis Onyango. Onyango has been suffering from a number of injuries lately and had to be replaced following a collision when they played Bidvest Vets on Saturday night. This is after he made a poor error when he played the ball into his own net against Polokwane City a week ago. Musimane feels there has been too much for the short stopper this year. He's, he's been unfortunate this year. It has been difficult. Somewhere, somehow, probably he has to he, I, I heard a little bit from the other goalkeepers that he, he probably thinks a Cup of Nations should be maybe his, his, last, his 32 now eh? and, and focus on sundowns. You know, at, at a, when, you are, when you have injuries like this, but we support Uganda. I'm not the coach who will say he must not play for Uganda. But sometimes when they call him for Comoros, yeah, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, so they must save him because uh, I would like him to continue, to be honest. Sundowns have confirmed a new four and a half years contract extension for Onyango today. Since joining from Mpumalanga Black Aces in 2011, this means that Onyango would have spent more than a decade at Tlurkop. The latest contract would see the Ugandan at goalpost for Sundowns until 2023. And finally, in hockey news, Namibia excelled at the South African Interprovincial Indoor Hockey Tournament in Peter Maritzburg in the KwaZulu Natal province. Namibia's men's team won a silver medal in the men's A category, while a Namibian Invitational women's team won gold medal at the women's B category. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto N.E.T.O. Chemani. This is Africa Digest. It is 17.58 Central African time right here on Africa Digest. Let's recap out of stories. South Africa's governing party mired in yet another sexual misconduct scandal. Anxiety continues around Nigeria as citizens await the outcomes of the presidential election. With that, we wrap up Africa Digest for today. For myself, Spumela Lezondi, producer Luanda, Mahomet, technical producer Fusa Mashiko, and the rest of the team. Thanks for listening. It's info at channelafrica.co.za on email or WhatsApp plus 27763033273. Tweet us on Channel Africa One. We leave you with Fetch Your Life by Prince KB and Msaki.